0: All right, so we are going to wrap up, because this is our last study um, in Revelation chapter 22. Um, we've been doing a series for the last, I don't know, five weeks, six weeks, on the new heavens and the new Earth, looking at the last couple chapters of the Bible, Revelation 21 and 22. Um, and really, properly speaking properly speaking, we've already finished. Because the vision of the new heavens and the new earth ends in chapter 21, like 5. Which is what we, the, the section we looked at last week. And probably, do you guys know the chapter breaks are fake in your Bible? They're not like, John didn't put chapter breaks in there. Um, and they probably blew it. I think that it's, I think chapter 21 should have ended at 5 verses ago. Or ended at, 21, at 22, 5. So this section we're looking at right now is really just an epilogue to the whole book. Not just to these last two chapters... But it's just John tidying things up and kind of putting a bow on everything. Hey, guys, how are you? No, you're getting little gifts for children. It's fantastic. Be late. It's good. Um, And so today, it's it's hard to have like a, I like themes. I like having an organized principle that drives a thing. But really, we're just going to kind of walk through this epilogue and make a bunch of observations and uh, see things. And there's a handful of things that I think are worth pointing out and pulling on. But you might have things as well. Um, and fi- so at any point, you can feel free to kind of make an observation about things, and we'll jump in. Looks like I'm starting too early. Sorry, guys. To Ryan, Glad you're here. Thank you. All right. Sarah Lynn. Welcome. So we're going to be at uh, chapter 22, verses, we'll start with the verses 6 to 10. And as I read this, I want you guys to notice, see if you can't find a recurring term. Okay, there's something that kind of unifies this section, and we'll maybe... Um, make some observations about that. So here it is, Revelation 22, verses 6 to 10. And the angel said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I had heard and seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. But he said to me, do not do it. I'm a fellow servant with you and with your brothers the prophets and of all who keep the words of this book, worship God. And then finally in verse 10, and then he told me, do not seal up the words of this prophecy of this book because the time is near. Was it, there's, a lot of, there's a lot in there, but did you catch the recurring term? Okay. What What are we hearing? Wait. Go, Ray. Loud. Soon. So, okay. Good. So there's time. Link, time links. Robin. Keep the words of this book. Keep the words of the book. Very good. Anybody else? Things seem recurrent. I think. I think the driving thing is 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 the word word. So you're going to have it. You get it up here in verse six. These words are trustworthy and true. Verse seven. Keep the words of the prophecy. Verse nine. The words of the book, verse 10, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of the book. And I think what John is saying here, this is, this is important in a book that is so imagey. So like everything, everything in John is like these weird, kind of somewhat vivid, but kind of vague images, right? There's all this stuff that's happening. And you're like, I can't get my head around it. What is all this saying? And it's very imagey. It's very like you look and he looks and he sees. But when he's all done looking and he's all done seeing and it's all over, he says, listen, listen, hang on. The words mattered. There's a precision to this, and you need to attend to the actual words. So we can sometimes have an idea like this, that that God gives John a vision, and he shows him all this stuff, and that the vision is inspired, and then John turns around and does his best to hack through it and to capture something. It would be like, you know how when you describe a dream... Did you have, like, I woke up and had all these weird dreams last night. And I wanted to share them with Kelly because sometimes that's interesting to share your dreams, although it's almost never interesting to hear somebody else's dreams. Have you ever noticed that? And so I just decided, just never mind. She doesn't need to hear the stuff that's gonna, that was so compelling to me but will be boring to her. But sometimes there's a gap between the vision and the word. And John is saying, there's no gap, okay? These words matter. This is not just my best attempt to kind of, that God's given a divine vision and I'm just kind of slopping something together. He's saying, no, 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 no. The words mattered, okay? We have a doctrine for this, you guys, and it's called verbal plenary inspiration. Can you break that down if you want to be all nerdy and theological? Verbal plenary inspiration. What does that mean? Okay, so verbal means the words, What's what's a plenary session at like a conference or a retreat or something? Plenary? It's the one that everybody goes to. A plenary session is not a seminar, it's not a side thing. The plenary is absolutely everybody comes. So verbal plenary and then inspiration is that God has inspired. That every single word is inspired by God. And that's what John is affirming here. You guys pay attention to the words. The words matter. And we're not just getting some vague general ishness, but you can count on this. They were supposed to, supposed to hit this. Yeah, Bob. So, right even in the very first chapter, verse three, he starts off as I think somebody once it said this is one of the only or chapters or books of the Bible that have a blessing for it. It says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are the ones who hear and keep them. Yes, that's right. And the, From, from the, all, the entirety of Revelation, really the entirety of the Scriptures. But John is, John is saying, listen, we, the words count and we pay attention. There's a, there's, there's a precision here. And he uses the phrase, he's used it a couple times. Listen to this. This is the same thing he said in 19.9 and in 21.5. 19.9 it says, Then the angel said to me, write, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. 21.5, he was seated on the throne and said, I'm making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true, which is what he's saying in 22.6. Then the angel said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. It's not just the vision, but the words themselves. You guys, this is something that maybe was, has already been long since settled in your mind, that the Bible is reliable, that it's dependable and not just some people would say that the Bible contains a message that is true, but maybe there's a little filler in there as well. That is not what John is saying. He's saying every word you could take it to the bank. John uh, Paul says it like this in 2 Tim 3. You guys have, I don't know, some of you might have 2 Tim 3 memorized or this, this passage memorized. He says, All scripture is God breathed. This is what he's saying: God breathed is inspired and useful for teaching, rebuking, and correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Every word counts. Rachel, do you want to say something? Yeah, I was just saying in 21-5, it's almost like he affirms that thing four times, because he says it, and then he goes write it down, and then he says it's trustworthy and true. That's right. It's like he's affirming it over and over and over again. Over and over again. Absolutely. And that's, that's what we get. So, I mean, you, you live in a season of time where the, the Bible as a reliable document has been severely questioned, right? Mocked, ridiculed, dis- disregarded. John, is, John, as John is bringing the canon to a close, this is the last written portion of the scriptures. He's like, you guys, it's true at the level of words. When Jesus speaks about it, it's true at the level of like jots and tittles, like the strokes of the letters. It's dependable, it's trustworthy. And if we will do the work to know it, it's full, of, it's full of treasure. Robin? I have a question. Yes, ma'am. In Daniel, with his, the, his visitation and the vision that was given him, he was told to kind of lock it up. I can't quote the scripture. Yeah. And this is, like, totally different. Exactly right. Excellent. Very, very good. It's, that's a great observation. So, so, so take a look at what Robin is saying. And, in fact, if you have the little books that I gave you, you might notice this. Um, so look at the next thing that he says here. Let's see. Hang on. Let me get into this. Um, Robin is pointing out that there's a contrast here with with, with Daniel. And it's a, let's just take a look and see what it says. So in Revelation 22, it says, uh, dun, 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 verse 10 it says, Then he told me, do not seal up. The words of the prophecy of this book, because the time is near. Okay, do not, do not seal up the words of this book. Okay, now if you look down and if you have your little book that I made you, look down. There's going to be two, two references in Daniel that are perfectly opposite to that. It's in Daniel, Daniel eight and Daniel twelve. So do you can you go ahead and go ahead and read the Daniel eight and twelve since you got your book, and you're if you. The whole thing. Just, uh, yeah, just those two verses. No, no. In, the, in their little book there, you should see a Daniel 8 and a Daniel 12. Okay. They correspond to... The vision of the evenings and the mornings that has been given to you is true, but seal up the vision, for it concerns the distant future. Okay, so seal up the vision. He's, John is saying, don't seal it up because the time is near. Daniel says, do seal it up because the time is future. Okay? And then what's the Daniel twelve? Many will be purified, made spotless and refined, but the wicked will continue to be wicked. None of the wicked will understand, but those who are wise will understand. Okay. You missed uh, the, the, the 12-4, 12-9. 12-4. Oh, okay, I mean, okay, But you, Daniel, close up and seal the words at the scroll until the time of the end. Many will go here and there So why... He makes it explicit, but let's let's figure out what this means. Why does Daniel specifically say, seal it up? What's the the reason that he gives? Say it again, bro. It's far far off. Okay. So basically it's like, it's kind of of like saying like, listen, just lick the envelope. We'll open it in a year, in five years, in 50 years. It's a time capsule. Okay. All right. So the the Thompsons do a time capsule for their children and they open it up on their 18th birthday and you seal the sucker, right? Like, I don't know if you're making a, literally a box, but you're going to like close the box, and don't leave it open on the counter. This is such a perfect timing, Rachel. So good, okay? So you don't leave a time capsule open on the counter for the next 18 years. You bury it somewhere, and then in 18 years later, you dig it up, and now you see what it says, right? So Daniel is saying, close the box. Wrap the thing with tape. It'll happen later. John is saying, no, 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 no. Leave it open on the counter right now. Do not seal it up. Right, Okay, so what, what okay, at the, what does that mean? What's the implication then as we make sense of Revelation? That it's time. Time for who? It's time for the words to be understood, and I guess you, you take Daniel and you end the Revelation just like we've done here. Yes, okay, but when is the time, according to John? This is, this is important. This is something that we tend to miss. Hang on a second, I'm going to cough I that super loud. Sorry. This didn't work at all. Ugh. Okay. I'm still going to do it again, though. <laughs> Who is John writing to? This is, this is an important idea. Who is John writing to? Church. Okay. When? Right after the beginning of the church. Right, after Christ. right. So, John, this thing's probably written around 90 A.D., and he's writing to an audience in 90 A.D. And when he says... Don't seal it up. Leave the box open. What he's saying is this is relevant immediately in 90 A.D. And we've tended, and it's different. from So, so Daniel is writing something. He's saying that this stuff's going to happen in like 500 years, about 400 500 years, 500 years. Daniel's visions are going to start to come to pass in the time of Christ. When John writes it, he's saying this, he's distinctly contrast. He's, he's hearkening back to Daniel 8 and Daniel 12. He's saying this isn't that. This is is now to an audience in 90 AD and that should shape the way that we think about this book because we all everybody thinks that revelation is really most relevant for the people who live in the last 10 years of the history of the world and John says actually no it's most relevant to the people that lived in 90 AD and that really constrains the way that we make sense of the book does that, does that make sense And you may may disagree with it. You probably disagree because you've been trained to think it differently. But that's that's exactly what he means. He's like, well, open it up. It counts for you right now. If you're living in, you know, the Mediterranean in the year 100 100 A.D., Revelation is for you. Okay? But is it for us? Is it for Julie Bobo? Or is it over? It is for Julie Bobo. How do we know that it's also for Julie Bobo? Here's how we know. You guys, go go to this. Go back to go back to Romans 15, because this idea that the Bible had a primary audience. Wait, what just happened? Where are we? Going? Where? Let's see Revelation 2. 9, 9, 9. Here we go. Let me get to my. me get to it. Uh, yeah, go back to Romans 15. Yeah. Listen to this. What verse? Well, let, let me actually, be, before I paw, before we do that, do you know who, let's see, if the original audience for Revelation was the people living in 90 AD, okay, who is the original audience for 1 Corinthians? The Corinthians. The people that lived in Corinth. Who is the original audience for Galatians? People that lived in Galatia. And you can't really make sense of Galatians if you don't know that it meant something to the people living in Galatia, Right? Who was, I don't know, who was John's gospel written to? Everybody. It was written, well, ultimately to us, but, but his original audience is this. But all of those books had an original audience, and the original audiences, we understand what's going on in their lives. That helps us to understand it. But, of course, Galatians is for you, and Ephesians is for you, and the Psalms are for you, and 1 Samuel is for you, and Genesis is for you, which is why Paul says in Romans 15, 4, 15. he says, listen... Everything, all of it, everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Right? So yes, it was written to the people that lived in 90 AD, and that that frames and shapes. If we have an interpretation of it, that, that means nothing for the first 500 or 1,000 or 1,500 or 2,000 years of the church and it only means something later on, we got it wrong, right? Because the original recipient of the letter, his, his, her, their experience is what shapes it, but it's all written for us. It really does come down to Julie Bobo, right? The book is written for her so that she might have uh, encouragement, that she might have hope that she sees these things, that it would all matter for her. So when he, that's what all that he means is when he says, don't seal it up, he means right here, right now. This matters. This is not the kind of thing you lick the envelope, put it away, and check in 20 centuries. But guys, you need this today, in 90 A.D. It's living and active and two-edged sword. So that that living and active is continual. Absolutely, absolutely. And so for every generation from that one to this, for each of the seven churches that he was writing to, for all of the contemporaries that that get to overhear the conversation. If you lived in 1200 A.D or in 600 A.D., or in 1500 A.D., Revelation was for you, that every one of us in this season is, gets it, but it's all shaped by what it had to mean then. Okay? Now, when I say that, there's one thing that feels, is well, there may be several things. What feels weird to you about Revelation making sense to somebody in 90 A.D.? Is there anything that, that's like, well, but what about this? Like, What did they do with, with this or that? Any sense of the or even potentially disappointing thing there that makes this book hard? It didn't happen then. Okay, great. Now pause. Dan just said, it didn't happen then. What's it? The yeah. end. Right. And in particular, the return of Christ. Okay, and that right there, that's really going to be, that, we're going we're to wrap our head around that for a second. Jason, you want to add to that? They also just seen the destruction of the temple and the Romans tearing apart Jerusalem Yes, okay, so it is. A, so if this book's written in 90 AD, um, Jerusalem had just been sacked about 20 years earlier. It's like 9-11 ago, basically, and that's a big, big thing, okay? Now, so, Dan, when you say it didn't happen again, that betrays that what we think the Revelation is about is the return of Christ, is an it. It's a singular moment. It's the thing, and if, and if you get this, you get all this language here, Jesus is gonna say stuff like this in 22, Behold, 22.7, behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy in this book. 22.12, behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me. 22.20, he who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Okay? So if, if that's the focal point, if that's the center, if the, the coming of Christ is the thing, and it's written for these guys in 90 A.D., you're like, well, is it, there's a, a line in the Chronicles of Narnia where Lucy says, please, Aslan, what do you call soon? Right, like how soon? What, what What is it? So how do we make sense of that? If it didn't happen and this book was written for people in 90 AD, what do you do? Let's pretend that's not rhetorical. Do you have a sense of what, how do we make sense of that? In Psalms it talks about days of the Lord being as a thousand years, and a thousand years as a day. Okay. Yeah, the whole idea that, with, yeah, it's, it, it is. Peter, it, Peter quotes it, but he's quoting from something I just taught on last week, Psalm 89. 90, Psalm 90. Um, that with, with the Lord a year, it's like a thousand, da da da, back, back and forth. But that still doesn't solve the fact that it seems like, are you coming soon or are you not? Like, what do you call soon? And I thought, how do you make sense of this? How, does this, how do you say to somebody in 90 AD, I'm coming soon? What are the things that makes that could possibly make that make sense? Because the Holy like, Spirit is here. <clears throat> is the Holy Spirit what? Here. <clears throat> there. With yeah, Holy Spirit is living in them, absolutely, at the time. Well, well we die, and, and so we're going to be with the Lord. Okay, interesting. Okay, so... Uh, Terry's saying well you're going to die soon you're going to be with Jesus Wait, even if he doesn't come back you are going to die pretty soon and then you'll be with him but that's different I think we want to make a distinction between his return and our death we're not looking forward to being with him when we die although that will be lovely really what we are looking forward to is his coming again and so there's a couple of things I'm curious Jennifer what's your sense I was just thinking when you think of eternity soon could be a million years sure that's, and that is true. Like if we're going to be with him in a trillion, 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 trillion forevers, then eighty years, ninety years, thousand years, ten thousand years is really is still a drop in the bucket. I think that's so. I'll give you a couple. I'll, I'll give you a clue. So, do you know what John's favorite number is in the Book of Revelation? Seven. Seven. There's a million sevens. There's a whole bunch of things that are explicit. So, can you think of name name some sevens in Revelation? Seven seals. Seven seals. Seven gold bowl, the bowls, seven trumpets. There's a whole bunch of explicit sevens, right? There's also a whole bunch of, like, hidden sevens. And as much as he'll use the same phrase seven times. And he never, he never delineates them. But seven times he's going to say, I am coming. Here, I, I listed them out. So if you care to jot this down, he says uh, throughout the book, seven times. And, and, and there's, there's a million of these. It's not a coincidence, Okay. There's a very intentional layering in everything that is important to him, he's gonna hit it seven times, somewhere over these over these chapters. So in twenty, I'm sorry, in two five, he says, If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand. In two sixteen, he says, I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Three eleven, I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Sixteen, fifteen, behold, I come like a thief. Blessed is he who stays awake and keeps his clothes with him so that he won't go naked and be shamefully exposed. 22.7, Behold, I'm coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy. 22.12, Behold, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me, and I'll give to everyone according to what he's done. 22.20, He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. Seven times he's going to say, I am coming soon. And although we hit those really, really quickly, I don't know if you noticed it, but those weren't all about what we call the parousia. Those were not all about his physical, visible return to the earth. Sometimes, could, could you tell that? Some of these earlier ones, would he basically, he's, he's not talking about his final coming. He's talking about judgment. He says, if you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. That's not the final judgment. He's saying, yes, knock it off for like, it's going to be like Jesus time, okay? Like, there's a, a range of what it means. So sometimes it means that he's coming in an immediate way. And sometimes it points to his final and his ultimate coming. All right? There's that. But if you are in the first service, if, if not, uh, you'll hear it in a minute. But what is the driving factor that sets up his return? What will, what will shape his coming? What will determine the time of his coming? Everyone the gospel heard the gospel. Everybody hears the gospel. The fulfillment of the Great Commission. Matthew twenty four fourteen. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached and the whole world is a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. There's a very strong sense. We saw this. You may, you may recall this from when we looked at... Did we do Zechariah? We did Zechariah in here, didn't we? We did. I believe we did. did I, am I on crack? Was that, what's that? Oh, I was with you guys. I didn't. So we didn't do it in here. Okay, so then you may not know this. But um, Zechariah has the same sense of that we shape the timing of the purposes of God. If Jesus' coming is contingent upon the Great Commission and the Great Commission is contingent upon our faithfulness to proclaim the gospel and to fund world missions, to pray, give, go, and do it, then in a very real sense, we are the ones that are determining the time that he comes. Does that make sense? So what you what you see, well, we won't, I won't unpack this fully here, but... What Zechariah is doing is like, what is God going to do? And Zechariah's answer is, I don't know. What are you going to do? What are you going to do to cooperate with the purposes of God? Will you, will you be faithful? We've just gone through this hideous judgment. It was terrible. It was awful. But it's not over. God has not rejected his people. But I need to know, are you guys in or are you not in? Right? It'd be like, pick anything in your life. You could do this with your children and be like, are we going to Disneyland? Well, I don't know. Are you going to clean up your room or aren't you? You know, like, are you going to do the thing? And so in our, in a very, there's a very real sense that we are determining this. So the timing of his coming is when Jesus is like, it's, it's one of these really strange things. Jesus is like, I don't, I don't know when it's going to happen. And one of the things that it's all hanging on, it all hinges on is our faithfulness to share the gospel, to fund the Great Commission, to go, to let our kids go. When your children want to go on a mission trip and you're like, ah, I don't feel like that's safe. Go home and make some more money. Don't do that. Right? We want to release our children. We want to we want to compel people to be involved in these things that matter because we are the ones that are shaping the time. Right, So in some sense, all times are soon. And it could be at any moment. We are closer now than we have ever been, but we're not that close. We're not that close. There are still billions of people who don't know, um, but who one day will know. And every generation is meant to live with the sense that, like, we can get this job done. And so let's... Let's take the gospel to the edges of the earth. Right here and everywhere else. Okay, so far so good? Okay, while we're on that, there's another seven I want you to notice, because this one's a little bit strange. Look at verse 13, Uh, where'd it go? 22, 13, we're back in Revelation, 22, 13. He says, I am the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. What does that mean? I am the Alpha and the Omega. What is he? What is he saying? Who, about who? Can you tell who's speaking there? Jesus. That's Jesus. That's the Son. What does that mean? He's all powerful. Beginning, he created, and he'll end it. Okay, he's all powerful. He's the beginning. He created everything. He'll end it. Okay, very good. So we would we would we might call it this like the his eternality. There is never a time that he was not. There will never be a time that he is not. Alpha Omega is a way to say. A to Z, right? Soup to nuts. He's he he's out he can come, all things are contained within him. He's the whole range. Okay? But there's something else that, that he's communicating here that's not as obvious as the first and lastness of it. You know what else? It won't be you you wouldn't get it from this verse alone. You gotta know this verse in its own, in its broader context. We're going back to John 1. Okay. Um, so sort of, yes. So Robin says, he's going back to John 1. That's not, the concept of John 1 is, it's exactly the same concept. So what do you mean when you invoke John 1? Well, he talks about, Jesus talks about being with God in the beginning and being God. Yes, okay. So, th- so, let's, so, so Jesus, in John 1 is about Jesus being with God in the beginning and also being God. So can you think of anybody else who claimed Alpha Omega status? Because there can only be one first. There's no tie for first, okay? So who else is the Alpha and the Omega? Do you know? God the Father, God the Father very clearly owns Alpha and Omega status. So when Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, that's a, that is a clear claim to deity. And this is another one of those things that shows up seven times in the book of Revelation. Okay, I'll, I'll, give, I'll give you those. Go back, if you want to flip through or jot this down in your thing. Revelation 1.8 Tell me, who, who is this? Revelation 1.8. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who was, who is, and who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. Who's that? that, is, that is, that's the Father. That is the Lord God Almighty. Um, that's a, that is a Yahweh claim. Revelation 21.6. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, to him who is thirsty I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life that is also the father but then you're going to get in revelation 1:17. when i saw him i fell at his feet as though dead and then he placed his right hand on me and said do not be afraid i am the first and the last i am the living one i was dead and behold, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Who's that one? Jesus. Yeah. It's Jesus. The Father did not die and come back from the dead. Revelation twenty two thirteen, 13. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And that's, that's again, Christ. Those are your, those are your seven instances um, where he says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. Then I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And then I'm the first and the last... And then the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Seven times he gives these absolute bookends. I mean, really, and I, most absolute. Sometimes it's the Father, sometimes it's the Son. So it's not just the eternality, but it's the absolute, like, it's the union that exists between the Father and the Son. That there is a oneness, a sharedness. Jesus says I and the Father are one. There's a wrapped upness. It's a, it's a clear claim to, to deity. So far so good? Okay. I'm giving you guys all my little all these things that i've that I've noticed here. What about you? Anything else here in these chat, in this in this paragraph, things that strike you or that are curious to you, that you feel like, now, oh, before we close this study up, what does this mean? In fact, let's let's just read it all, and then we'll see what what grabs you. And then I'll share one more thing before we roll. The angel said to me, these words, this is twenty two six. These words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. Behold, I'm coming soon. And blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I would heard and seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel, that call, who had been showing them to me. But he said to me, do not do it. I'm a fellow servant with you and with your brothers, the prophets, and of all who keep the words of this book, worship God. And then he told me, do not seal up the words of this prophecy, this book, because the time is near right now. Let him who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let him who is vile continue to be vile. Let him who does right continue to do right. And let him who is holy continue to be holy. Behold, I'm coming soon, and my reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And then here's what we haven't hit yet. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life, and may go through the gates into the city. Now remember, guys, the vision's over. The vision already ended in verse 5. Now he's commenting on this all. He's, he, and he's talked to us about this, right? That, that there's this tree, and we can get back into it. And there are gates of a city, but they're always open, and some will get in. But he's not talking about that. Now he's saying, right now, at this present moment, you have access. You don't, you don't have it yet, but you will. It'll be yours. Verse 15, outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. The spirit and bride say, come, and let him who hears say, come. Whoever's thirsty, let him come, and whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes the words away from this book of prophecy, God will take away from him his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in the book. He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. So, anything strike you here in fourteen and following? Yeah, Kat. Well, I'm sort of in a discussion with someone about different versions of the Bible. Okay. Using this verse to say that newer versions have left out stuff and added stuff. Um, yeah, that's a. It's not true. So I'm there's. Just trying to convince. Them yeah. So what Kat said is she's in a discussion with somebody who uses this verse to say different versions of the Bible leave stuff off and, and drop them. And generally speaking, they're probably. Ra, Ra, King James. Is that a good guess? Yes. Okay. So there is a, and King James is great, okay? It was translated in 1611. It's contemporary with Shakespeare. It was a massive work. It's wonderful. However, language has changed in the last 400 years, and reading Shakespeare is hard, right? And it's relatively opaque to a lot of people. You probably never talk about filthy lucre. I'm guessing, in life, but, but King James uses phrases like filthy Luke or talking about greed and, and the misuse of money. So the only problem with King James is just that the language has shifted and moved on. The people that love the King James like to say that, you know, NIV is owned by Zondervan, who's owned by some godless enterprise, and they're systematically reducing the mentions of Jesus. It's all total nonsense. It's just absolute nonsense. The, the work that you have, whether it's any modern translation, whether it's NIV or the ESV or the NAS, they're all gonna be faithful. They're all gonna get a couple things wrong because it's just hard, it's difficult, difficult work. But but the uh, the, the notion that the King James is the only reliable English translation is just patently false. So which but you probably can't persuade him of that. And so just you know, wish them well. Be nice, but <laughs> don't. The people in the people in that King James little world are like they're not all that interested in being reasoned with and so you know go outside and play. Do something fun. Well this person has changed their mind because of listening to someone that actually illustrates, this is his argument, that the person takes like the Greek or original language and translates it to the King James and says it's true but then say the NIV has left out this phrase. Yeah right no, and that is true. So. If you look at if you look at any print Bible, an NIV or an ESV, you're going to have in the footnotes it'll say some translation or some not translations. Some manuscripts say this, some manuscripts say that, and there are a handful of phrases that don't show up in the NIV that would show up in the King James. That is accurate, but the reason for it is not some nefarious plot to like underscore the scriptures, but that since 1611 we have done more textual work. So here's what you need to know. We don't have one perfect copy of Genesis and one perfect copy of Exodus and one perfect copy of John and one perfect copy of Romans. We have thousands and thousands and thousands of copies of these things. And they, do, they vary in, in nearness to the original and quality of the manuscript and phrases that are ripped out and missed. So when translators are doing the work, they're working off a variety of manuscripts um, which agree at an absolutely astronomical Uh, level of detail but there are some manuscripts where we're like you know what we think that got added later in because the earliest and most reliable manuscripts don't have that phrase and so we'll include it like the NIV will say like yeah we'll include that but we're going to kind of put it in an asterisk like maybe but we don't think so but maybe so that's that's what you're always going to get and you guys and there are things like instead of saying Jesus Christ it says Christ Jesus it's like it's cool okay no big deal they're all very small very insignificant things um so that's, that's, the, that's the kind of thing we're talking about. So whenever there's these differences, these, the people that are doing the unbelievable difficult work to create accurate translations have 400 more years of scholarship and expertise and tools so that we can be very, very confident that what we have in these modern translations is great. And the differences, again, to the King James are absolutely minute, with the exception of the inevitable flow of language that just makes the King James less accessible to most people. And for most people, the Bible's opaque enough as it is. It's hard, right? So let's not make it be like an eighth grade or like an 11th grade English class too, to like make it make it make sense of it. Okay, I want you to notice one thing. I don't know if it struck you, but did you notice that somebody somebody like took John's pen out of his hand? Did you see that? Look at this. This is weird. So, uh, verse. 14, blessed are those who wash the robes. Verse 15, outside of the dogs. Look at verse 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. Suddenly Jesus picks up the pen. And this is a real phenomenon. Go to 1 Corinthians 16 for a second. I want you to see how this works out in the New Testament epistles. So, when we say that Paul wrote 1 Corinthians. He had a secretary who actually wrote. There'll often be some note at the end of Paul's letters where he's dictating a letter to his scribe, to his secretary, his amanuensis, and then he's like, give me the pen. And he'll write, and he'll, he'll say something like this. In 1 Corinthians 16, he says, I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. If anyone does not love the Lord... A curse be on him. Come, O Lord. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love to all of you in Christ Jesus. Amen. So if we had, and we do not have, if we had the original First Corinthians letter, the handwriting would change at this point. Okay? There's a handful of times that you'll see him do this. In Galatians, he's like, see with what large letters I write my own name. That's Paul taking the pen from the secretary and basically writing a PS, a handwritten PS from the author. That's what happens here in Revelation. In fact, stay there. Stay in 1 Corinthians and listen to how, listen to the stunning similarity between the way that 1 Corinthians 16 ends, starting, you stay there in 16 and I'm going to go back to Revelation and you hear how like phrase by phrase, it's the same, it's really weird. It's the same thing. So Jesus takes the pen and he says in Revelation 22, 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. And then it talks about him coming. Um, yes, I'm coming soon. It says God will add to him the plagues described in this book. You see that in Corinthians? The curse? It ends with the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. It's just like this. Paul, I, I Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. I, Jesus, has sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. If anyone does not love the Lord, a curse be on him. Come, O Lord. And he says, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. Yes, I'm coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you in Corinthians. Back in Revelation, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. And in verse 24, my love to all of you who are in Christ, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Like he's just, it's, it's, a, it's a total imitation of the way that these letters work. And so what, I don't know what that means. It's weird. Paul's writing this book, or or John, rather, is writing this revelation. And at the very end, Jesus takes on the first person. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. From which, I I guess I would say, one, one, one implication of that is just do recall that it's an epistle. It's apocalypse and it's prophecy, as we've said. But it's also an epistle, which means it's written to a particular group of people... For a particular purpose. But it's also written to us. For as we said earlier. Everything. That was written in the past. Was written to teach us. So that through endurance. And the encouragement of the scriptures. We might have what? Hope. And what is the whole thing about? Hope. The reason we look at Revelation 22. Is because you need. A clear rock solid anticipation. Of the unbelievable good. That awaits you. You need an anchor in your life. It's like, you know what, there are difficult days and there are more still to come, but you're going to get through the difficulty of those days because you have this rock-solid vision of hope. That's why he wrote the letter to the first century church and why he's preserved it through the centuries, so that we too could join in with them and together we would have hope in the future good that he's, that he's bringing about. Okay? All right, so that's that. Curtain great next week. I have no idea what to do, so can we take like a minute or two? Can you guys give me some ideas? What would be useful? What would be this time is going to be profitable, and you're going to want to come back? Is there a book you want to study or a topic we want to do? Can you give me? We won't decide it right now, but anybody want to pepper me with some suggestions on what would be something we can do for the next month or two months that would be fun, insightful, (laughs) enriching, hope inspiring? Are we done? Are we just we speak to take it off? Oh, Carol. I'm doing, right now, I'm doing a Thursday morning study on Haggai, and it's a short rule. Yeah. But it has been very enlightening for today's times and what's going on right now. Yeah. I have found it to be very uplifting and very hopeful in, in things. So the minor prophets almost never, ever show up on a request list, right? So um, so you, you'd like to, but you're doing that right now, but you'd, you'd enjoy doing something like that. Not everybody, there's only like right. 10 of us that are doing it, and it may be something, okay. I just have found it to be very good. Yeah. And the other one that's been very good is First Peter, and I just see it kind of all relating into these days. Peter is the most relevant book for the for this age of the church right now. I'm convinced that if we're going to get through the next you know, 50 years, it's going to be because we begin to understand Peter in a way that it, didn't used to be that relevant we are becoming aliens and strangers at a deeper and deeper level that's not going to change so i'm totally down with peter although we did that we did a series on peter recently a couple years ago maybe but in haggai minor prophet okay good other get a couple of ideas Anything you'd enjoy doing hebrews hebrews okay hebrews is a deep deep dive i did hebrews where bob's gone who's in my bible study we did hebrews is is complicated as I'll get out that would take us a while but it's Rich, rich stuff. Hebrews, Haggai, Peter, anything else? Yeah, Brad? Who would Jesus vote for? <laughs> Who would Jesus vote for? Who would Jesus vote for? So Jesus' Jesus's political affiliation is, he's what we would call a divine monarchialist. He just believes that God should be king and is, in fact, king. That would be, that would be a very complicated topic. Yes. Nobody knows. Yes. Well, know. And then we'd all hate each other before the time was over, too. So... Oh, and in fact, speaking of that, there's a little quick freedom, little little freebie here. If you have not, if you have Netflix and you haven't yet watched The Social Dilemma, would you? Would you go home and watch that? You guys, like it is, you should go watch The Social Dilemma. Absolutely. And then it it, it has so much explanatory power for this moment. Like, and in particular, why are we so it, a lot of people think the reason that we are so divided is that the Democrats are so completely ridiculous. Other people are like, no, 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 no. The Republicans are just such an absolute bunch of morons, okay? It's neither one of those. It is neither the Democrats nor the Republicans. It is social media, okay? That's why. If you want to understand it, you want to understand what's going on in the phenomena, social media, you should, you should go watch The Social Dilemma. It is, and then you go break your kids' phones, okay? Okay. Um, <laughs> Because you might, be, you might be relatively-ish, not really, but a little bit less susceptible to the, to the destructive force, but, like, your kids are, are drinking it pure. Yeah, Lily? I'd love to look at the unity of the early church and what that looks like and what we can learn from that, especially in the context of just our relationship with each other and with the Holy Spirit. But, like, hmm. overarching study of unity and hmm. So yeah, so you're saying what, could we have a discussion on where how the biblical evidence we have for how the church did unity in a time that we might be able to learn from? Is that? And how the Holy Spirit brings unity, like how does that manifest and how has it manifested? Yeah, yeah, okay, that's interesting. I don't have that in my pocket, so that sounds like work. Um, okay, Jennifer. That made me think of something. What Lily just said is, you talked last week, I think, it was about the Holy Spirit being the love between the two and i'm reading francis Chance, the forgotten god yeah and i don't know if we get enough learning about the holy spirit Amen. so maybe we could and we are the church of the church of the yeah yeah sure yeah something on the holy series on the holy spirit man that's i like that too okay that's good all right one more no no, no. okay i'll i'll put all that up my pipe and smoke it oh wait, wait wait wait, wait. Shh. martha go loud Oh, yeah. It's so bad, Martha. It's so bad. We talked about this somewhere recently. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, churches are getting decimated across the country because of this. Yeah, that's a good word. Okay. All right, people are leaving. We got to let you go. So this is a good word. Uh, we'll see you. We'll talk about something next week.